What's going on, everybody? Chad Belding here with the Foul Eye Podcast. This is another edition of You Canuba Duck Dog Series. We're joined by our good friend, Mossy Pond Retrievers, founder and owner, Brad Arrington, in Patterson, Georgia. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty at the beginning of the podcast. You're going to be uh, skipping, skipped out on a couple of the words that Brad's laying down. He's right in mid-form, as usual. He's got a ton of knowledge to drop on you guys. Hope you enjoy this episode of You Can Noob, a Duck Dogs podcast series, part of our family of brands here at The Foul Life. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you so much to You Can Noob for everything they do to support the American hunter, the American gatherer, the provider, the conservationist. Thank you for believing in all of our brands. Everybody Buddy, feed you canoe, but there's not a better diet nutrition plan on earth. Thank you all so much. If we eat properly, it makes us feel better. If, if we're going to run a marathon or um, run a race, if we eat properly and hydrate ourselves properly, we feel well, uh, feel like we got more energy. And that's the same with this dog food. Um, so I want you to reiterate that one more time, just so I'm clear on it. If I have a new dog or a new dog owner comes to me and says, I want to try Yukonuba. You've talked me into it. I've been feeding this brand of food for four years. My dog's five years old or going on five years old. You're saying that in that bowl that night, you're going to feed 70% the food that they're existing on, that they've been on, and 30% Yukonuba for two days. The next two days, you're going to feed 50% the food they've been on, 50% Yukonuba. Take, the, take it from there. So that's 50-50, and then you'll go to 70-30, 70, 70 being Yukonuba, and 30% their food. And then on that uh, that night, that sixth-day night or that seventh-day morning, you'll be totally on Yukonuba. So within a week, you're on Yukonuba, and you're saying that the the clients that have come in – and they've been used to feeding a d- another dog food, and you get them to do your test. You ask them to do your test. Are you saying it's pretty much 100% that none of them come back and go, hey, we tried it, but we're going to go back to our other food? They're like, we see the difference right away. Because two weeks doesn't seem like that long. You're telling me as a professional dog trainer that you can see a difference that quick. I mean, I know in human beings you can. You feed me a good meal, and I've been eating like crap for four days, and I get a good meal. you obviously get in a better mood, right? So with a dog, you can see it that quick too, huh? Two two weeks, you'll see um, coat change, coat color, um, and you will see um, an increase in energy in two weeks, yes. Now – over a month's time, you'll start seeing a lot of other things, but 100%, you will see the coat change and the amount of energy that the dog has. Uh, and we have to have energy in what we do. And that that's one of the biggest sell factors for me in Yukonuba is how good the dogs feel um, and how much energy it, it gives them where they can perform three and four times a day, six days a week to keep up with our regiment that we keep around here at Mossy Pond. Okay, so is there a correct schedule of feeding? And I know that we've talked about this before. Uh, there's just so many options out there of when to feed, how much to feed. Should you give them kibble? Should you give them snacks? Should you reward them? Should you give them an egg McMuffin in the duck blind? There's all these questions that I have because – we're, the temptation's there to where if you're eating a piece of jerky that's high in sodium, a regular human, like Jack Lynch, you know, it's got a little bit of sodium in it, it's got sugar in it, it's got different flavors in it. 
is it okay to take a bite off of it and then share it with your dog? But first, let's start with feeding schedule. Let's just take Axel, for example. He's high-powered. He's gonna sp- he is going to ex- you know, s- exert a lot of calories that day, a lot of energy he's going to exert throughout any given day with training and hunting. When should I feed a, a dog like Axel? I, um, a schedule is everything with dogs. Um, as far as keeping the firm stool and them not getting loose, if they try to hold it in the crate, they will get loose. It'll throw them off. So schedule, feeding schedule, it has to be as close as possible. As far as the questions that you asked me about the biscuit and the jerky, yeah, sure, a lot of people do it. My recommendation is not. Um, they love the food. They love the Yukonuba. And I, I strongly recommend no other human food. Um, keep, them, keep them, their schedule consistent and keep their diet consistent, <clears throat> and you will have a more consistent um, for the dog airing and u- using the bathroom. So what we normally do at Mossy Pond around 5 a.m., 5.30, we, we let everybody out and air, and they air for about 30 minutes. They come back in, and everybody eats around 6. After 6, we air again around 6.30, and then we start our day. Around 7 o'clock, all the dogs should be on the trucks um, and ready to go out. And then we do a full day. And of course, while they're running, working, exercising, and um, they they won't they they won't need to eat all day unless it's a dog that is light. There are some dogs that are light and need more um, dog food to keep to build build them up. At that point, I will give them snacks of Yukonuba, the same dog food that they eat throughout the day. I always feed with water to make sure some of these dogs don't take time to make their self hydrate and make and, and drink. So I always feed the kibble with, with water. So if, if a dog's light or he needs more energy or more calories because he's going on a big hunt or because we're at a field trial that he's going to have to run four and five series a day, a double header or something. Yeah. I, I'll give them some snacks, but the snacks are their, um, Yukonuba premium performance 30, 20 sport. Um, that's what we feed all of our, um, our dogs in competition and, and our hunting dogs. So, and, and the obedience dogs while they're with us because there's, they're burning so many calories, but I feed them morning and night. And then that, um, then after, if I have to give anybody lunch, then that night when we get back around seven or eight, after, um, we get in and we put them in their runs, then we feed them. And then we have a crew that comes in and airs everybody between, 9, 9.30 or 10. And if we do it this way, keep it on a strict schedule, we have nobody to mess up. Even the dogs that are just coming in, within two or three days, nobody messes up our kennel runs. I know what you mean by messes up the kettle uh, kennel runs. So I've also heard theories of feeding once a day. Um, do you have a experience of, in this? And is it – go ahead, sorry. No, a lot of people do – some people, you know, I don't want a heavy amount of food on a dog's gut right before he, he runs. So when we feed, we're, we're feeding, like I said, around 6.30, and we're putting them on the trucks at 7. Probably the first bumper will go down around 8. Um, that's still a good hour and a half, two hours for that dog to start digesting. And, you know, typically you're only feeding about a cup of food in the morning. Your, your heavier 
um, you might feed a little bit more. You're going to feed a little heavier in the evening. So for even my big males, you know, you're going to give them a cup in the morning. And then that night I would give them, you know, maybe a cup and a half to two cups. And on, like I said, on this premium performance 3020 sport, they don't need a, a bunch of food to maintain the weight. Um, the hardest thing when I first got on this food was to understand they didn't need as much as the competitive brands. So, um, but a cup in the morning and then a cup and a half at night is, is, is excellent. So the guys that argue the fact that they want to feed two and a half cups at night, the only way that they could argue that is, is they don't want to feed before they work. But, um, we have never had a problem with bloat or torsion, um, with feeding only a cup and then working them after that, after a two hour digestive period. Now, granted, you feed and then you feed and then you work within 20 or 30 minutes. Yes, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. When you talk about the difference in coat with the Yukonuba nutrition plan and diet, and we're talking, um, you know, the, the performance, the sport performance right now, give me an idea of the coat and what you're referring to of the changes that you've seen and what a healthy coat should be. I talk a lot about, um, you know, the the color of it. It's just like a duck. When you when you first kill a duck and you have him and the water's uh, beating up on his back and that, that water's running off, you know, that that's what we want in our dogs. That's going to keep them where they feel like they're dry. When they come in out of the, and they're in the pit blind with us or in the skid blind, you want them to feel like, you know, they're dry. Well, it, with a good food, that makes that coat good and silky, uh, then that water just beads up and runs off. I mean, I can pour a cup of water on a freshly killed duck, and I can also pour a cup of water on my dogs that um, feed our feed, and it'll just beat up and roll off. Well, <clears throat> if you take a duck and, you know, after he gets old or if you train with him or um, he's gotten the mud throughout the uh, morning while you're hunting, you know, those feathers, they lose that, um, you know, where that – water will beat up well these dogs on other brand dog foods does the same thing and what we want is that that keeps your dog dry when he's in and out of the duck blind it repels the water just like a duck a duck's back and um that and the color we don't want that you know a lot of chocolates they will get more dull than the black and the yellows but you will have that dull color or in a chassis but on this food, you you don't have that. I mean, the, these dogs, we got 120 dogs in the kennel right now, and you could walk through there. Anybody that's been with me over two two or three weeks, I mean, their their coat is shiny as can be and will will repel the water just like a duck's back. And when you start talking about your your theory there at Mossy Pond about a happy dog, what a, a sad dog, you know, you can see signs of a sad dog when he's not around his owner or he isn't around, you know, the fun or the, he's get, you know, dogs get FOMO just like human beings do. But talk to me a little bit about personality and disposition, Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers, and the differences you've seen in that. Like you, you want dogs to be happy, fired up to train every day. When I walk through your kennel, I see him just jumping at the fences, trying to get out. Talk to me a little bit about personality and disposition. Well, what we talk about all the time is um, health care comes first, which um, results back into a good diet. 
And um, but second is their attitude, 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 attitude. And attitude can only drop from one of two things, either too much pressure, the dog's not having fun, or either the dog doesn't feel well. And dog food comes into that uh, number two as well. Um, our third thing is training, but healthcare has a lot to do with the dog food. Um, our number two is attitude and attitude. If the dog doesn't feel well, doesn't feel like an athlete, he's not going to want to get up and do those reps. Um, and of course, on our side, we have to make, make that dog happy. We have to make him tick. What, what makes each dog in there tick? Some dogs, if, you know, they get cones in the morning, they get tennis balls. Some ducks, they, I mean, some dogs, they get extra pigeons, extra ducks throughout the day. Whatever makes that dog tick, whatever makes him happy, some of them, they just like to be loved on. They like us to get out there in the hay field, sit down with them and love on them. And <clears throat> most all dogs like a, a little bit of all of that, but each dog has something that really makes him tick. I have some great field trial dogs. He could care less if I ever pet him again in his life. I mean, he likes me to tell him good boy when he comes back and brag on him. But as far as me laying down in the hayfield and rolling around with him, he, he could care less. He'll, he'll go sit over by himself. As opposed to some of the other dogs, a, a lot of our goldens that we train, they want that affection. They want me to love on them and roll around with them. Where some of those big, strong-willed um, field trial labs, they <laughs> there's one thing on their mind. They want that duck. So, um, you know, to get that attitude up and – that's what I pride our, our business on. You walk through that kennel, you better not, and you I would bet my paycheck on it, you won't walk through there and find a dog that's unhappy or doesn't feel well. If they don't feel well and they're on our food, they need to go to the vet um, if their attitude isn't good because I promise you our trainers are doing everything they can to make them as happy as possible. What, how would you describe Axel in that same sense that you just described those, you know, the field trial dog as opposed to a dog that would roll around in a hay field with you? Is he a good balance across the board of disposition, personality, good mood, wants to please his owner and his handler, but he also has that drive and that determination? Does he flip, does he flip a switch like you hear so many dogs do? Um, how would you describe Axel? Yeah, he, he, he's a mixture. Um, I guess what would make him tick the most would be a Kong or a tennis ball. I mean, he, he's nuts about ducks, and he, he also enjoys me sitting with him and love on him. But if I was sitting by your pool and I had a Kong or a tennis ball, he'd rather go play with that Kong or tennis ball than sit there up under my arm and just lick me in the face and me love on him. Um, and his, his prey drive for um, waterfowl is, is really high as well. But a good mixture makes him – where where he's not a nuisance and an aggravation to be around. He's not the dog that's going to take the tennis ball and go up and nudge you every time you walk through the gate and just bug, bug the crap out of you. He's also going to love on you. And when he sits in the duck blind, if you were in the duck blind calling on the duck call, he would be looking to the sky. He wouldn't be looking to the tennis ball. So, yes, he's a mixture. Yeah, I, I would describe it the same way. And, Where's he at right now? What what have you seen? We 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 dropped him off in March when we got down there and chased some turkeys with you. 
before we headed to Tennessee. So he's been with you, let's just say, all of April, May, June, July, August, September. He's been with you almost six full months. I'll get him back in a couple weeks in October when you come out here. Um, what has he been going through? What reports have you been getting from Clark and Lee? And are you happy with where he's at right now? Man, Axel, he was he was what we call a finished dog last year, but there, there's always stuff to improve on. Um, we taught him a lot of cool new things, you know, where to in the boat, you know, instead of walking up and down the boat, where to where to place in the boat, where to ride in the boat. Um, he, he's just advanced how good he is on um, poison birds, how good he is on running a blind. Um, he doesn't second guess you. He trusts you. Um, his his hunt pattern, we got it a lot better. A lot of that's just came from maturity out of him, from him. But he's getting into those glory years, those the best years. You know, I always tell my customers, everybody thinks, well, a three-year-old's, that's his best years, a four-year-old. But most of their best years are six, seven, and eight. So um, he's hunted for two seasons now. This year right here would it is really going to be fun for you and fun for Axel. He's at the age now you don't have to worry about breaking. You don't have to worry about silly stuff that he would have done at a younger age. He's getting where now you knock a – you head shoot one in the decoys, uh, a, a duck, and you got to run a blind past it. Um, and, and go get a cripple, he's going he's gonna to honor that and, and go and get that cripple for you and um, be the conservationist tool that, that, that we breed him for and we train him for and do his job. So um, he, he's not going to second guess you and want to get the, the bird and the decoys. He's going to listen to you and go get the cripple. As, as a whole, <clears throat> in your experience, are there as many good female lab hunting situation now as there are males are there are is there a is it just a kind of what a, a preference to the the guy or the girl that's buying a dog or would you have some say in that like hey i think you ought to go with a male and here's why or a female is going to give you this and here's why are females as good a hunters as males and i'm not trying to sound like like there's a big issue here i just never have hunted over a lot of females i'm asking your opinion on it yes <clears throat> there <clears throat> excuse me there's a lot of great females out there and a lot of great males i don't think one outweighs the other um it's just like more of our competitive dogs that um run the srs run the um grand and run master nationals i think we're pretty much equal across the board males to females um and it you know and there are some things that can be different with them but they're, they're both really – I've had really good of both, and I've had really bad of both. So, It's uh, – is it safe to say that females – oh, let me ask you this just straight up. You talked about that dog that will go through a wall for you, that just, you know, will go tackle a Canada goose if he's crippled, you know, obviously being careful with the with – you know, being a handler, you have to choose the birds that you do send a dog on because there is a chance for injury. But will a female run through a wall for you? Have you seen an aggressive, aggressive female that will just is just like lights out like some of the males I've hunted over? Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. You know, you could get a really burly, strong-willed male, and of course, he's going to be a little bit stronger in that department. But 
the I've had some tough rough neck females as well you know um, so everybody's well good trainers and um, and amateurs that know what they're talking about you're always looking for that B model dog a lot like what Axel is <clears throat> a dog that can a dog that can you know have enough horsepower even if we got a sheet of ice out there and we have to pick up 50 50 ducks because we got a big large group of guys um, but when you go back to camp, they can hang around camp and, and not be aggravating and uh, can hang out with you and be sociable where you don't have to lock them in, in your kennel. Um, you're always looking for that B model dog. So sure, you can get these males that are bred too high and they're, you know, they're sitting there and they're aggravating at duck camp and you, you got to go put him in his kennel. And uh, sure, on game day, he's ready, but he's sitting there and he might be whining a little bit. And on the flip side, you can get those females that, you know, they're too soft and they don't want to work. If it's below 40 degrees, they shut down and they, they won't get the job done. But you can find that B model dog out of males and out of females. <coughs> well, I, I, I just, I, I wish I, I guess I'm saying I want to see a, a female that is that, you know, run through a wall, but can shut it off and, and be a, a great partner and a great pet as well. Where, where do you, where do you stand on something you know, that I, I'll go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You know, the, um, you know, the female that, um, she's 12 years old now, but my female Piper, yep. um, I got a, a YouTube tip on her. Um, it was years ago, probably seven, eight years ago on Hill and here. So on YouTube, you can look it up. It's uh, mossy pond retrievers, Hill and here. And if you see her in that video clip, you will understand. I mean, she she's an A model female. She 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 runs through. She would hit a full grown, greater um, Canadian geese. I mean, wide open, hit it full blast as a cripple, and she'd bring it back. I love it. Mm -hmm. Is it okay for my dog to ride in the cab of the truck, Brad? I know it is if I'm going 10 miles an hour on a dirt road in Kansas back to camp after we just had a successful hunt and he's a little cold. Axel's got a little water on him still, but I'm going down I-80, going to Nebraska, 80 miles an hour average through Wyoming. There's a reason why they make these crates, roto-molded crates. There's a lot of different brands out there. I know you work with Gunner. They protect them if there is an accident. They're strapped down in the back of the pickup. They're inside a camper shell topper like a Lear. But is it okay for me to have my dog in the back seat or in the, in the cab of the truck going down the highway? And I've heard a lot of accidents because I've been doing this so long. And I tell everybody, it's just like having a, having your kid, you know, if you're, if you're okay with your three-year-old walking around in the cab of the truck with you, you know, that that's on you. Um, the safest way for these dogs they don't make car seats and the seat belts don't fit them. So the only seat belt that we have is, is the gunner kennel. Um, and it is by far the safest crate out there. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't agree with it. If somebody were to ask my professional opinion, they definitely need to be in a crate. Um, you know, you're on your duck lease somewhere at duck camp and you're riding around scouting and stuff. Can old blue sit up there in the front seat with you and look out the window? Sure. But going down I-80, I mean, they're going to come out of the, that front windshield. 
I mean, they're already standing up. They're going to go straight out of it if you hit somebody. There's so many, so many times during the duck season where I see dog owners just, you know, you you could be in the dark. You're going down a, a back road on the duck club in a Polaris Ranger, right? The dog's up in the seat or he's in the back. I mean, there's just so many opportunities for an accident to happen. Now, the odds, they might not be that high, but when it did, it just takes one time to change that dog's life you know, in his hunting career, her hunting career for the rest of it. So even in a situation like that, are you putting the dogs in a crate in a Polaris Ranger when you're going 10 miles an hour to the duck hole? Would you recommend that? I know that as a professional, you probably have to, but do you ever just let them ride with you in a Ranger because they're so well behaved, knowing that they won't jump out or have an accident? Well, it's funny you ask that. I, I had a customer during duck season. He's got his own duck lease. And he had his, him and his buddy were going out and they were sitting side by side in a crew cab Polaris. Well, the lab was in the back seat with his feet up between them. And um, they were going along through there and he was making a turn and he didn't turn quite sharp enough. So he was going to hit a tree. Well, it wasn't like he hit anything. He just slammed on the brakes pretty hard. And when he slammed on the brakes, the dog went between them through there through the windshield busted out it was the one with the doors um, busted out the windshield that windshield is built just like the windshield in your um, vehicle busted it out and they had to take the dog to the vet he got cut and busted the whole windshield out that happened this season and i assume that the dog's okay now he is he is it was just a just an accident and they'd probably done it a thousand times before and, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's a dog. We're going to handle it different. But I tell everybody that gunner kennel is is their seatbelt. Just if you put on your seatbelt, he needs to be in the gunner kennel. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, as far as kind of along the same lines, Brad, it's hunting season coming up. Temperatures tend to drop down. You have a little bit different of an, of an environment where you live. It doesn't really get too cold in that part of Georgia, um, whereas, it, you know, maybe North Dakota or where I hunt in Wyoming or, you know, anywhere north of you, really. Is it okay for the dog to sleep outside during hunting season? There are those dog owners that have kids that might have an allergy. You make somewhere in your garage a dedicated place with some heat to it. How much can a dog really withstand of the elements, you know, we don't, we got to be smart. Obviously there's a ton of different situations, but would you recommend letting them sleep in the house if you don't have allergies or a dedicated spot that is more heated than those elements outside? Cause I know a lot of dog owners that keep their dogs outside overnight. Is it okay? A lot of customers, um, argue with me on this one, but I feel I'm as close to right as anything. I mean, I, I'm I'm 100% correct on this, just from what I've seen in the past. Dogs definitely acclimate to where they stay and the elements that they endure every day. So if if it's 30 degrees outside and you live in Arkansas and you keep your dog in the heater, whether it's in the garage or inside, at 75 degrees, and that's where he lives, that's where he stays, he just goes out to use the bathroom, but he stays inside – and the guy down the road, he has him in a kennel that he can go in and out. 
but that kennel and maybe it has a little heat lamp but it's going to keep that dog at around 50 degrees most all of your um your field breeds are built like labs and goldens and chessies they're built for cold weather that's where they came from that's where the breed came from so 50 degree weather is perfect for them that's like our 75 but when you acclimate that dog to a 45 50 degree environment where he sleeps and where he hangs out throughout the day he is going to perform better in those colder elements when you go out duck hunting than the dog that sleeps inside in the 75 degree weather um, i'm 100 percent sold on it I, i'm I, i'm sure of it um and and right the offset in the summer you know that dog that's sleeps inside and hangs out down here in Georgia and he's in that 70 degree um, house all the time and then you go out in September on a dove hunt and it's 99 degrees 100 degrees during dove season that dog can't stand it he, he can't pick up two birds but these dogs in our kennel that you know um, we have fans blowing and it's probably 85 about as we have thermometers all over our kennels and in our crates and in our dog rigs but it's going to stay around 85, 88 um, all the time. And that's where that dog hangs out. And that's where he stays. You know, when he goes out on those dub days, if he's in shape, I mean, he can he can hang in there as long as he's getting enough water and we're, we're cooling him down after every retrieve. I mean, he, he can withstand the elements a, a lot better. So dogs definitely acclimate their self. Um, humans do not dogs definitely acclimate themselves to the conditions that they live in yeah it's kind of a you know their their ancestors or part of the dog family the wolf and the coyote i mean they never get to come inside i mean i know it's a totally different animal but you said you know where the breeds come from you know in different parts of you know you know, Iceland and, and places where it never really, you know, Russia and places where there's always snow on the ground pretty much. And they do have real winters there. I'll, I think a lot of dogs tend to get coddled too much. And I think that we do that to them because we think they need it when in reality, they're probably thinking like, man, y'all are too much. This is nuts. I, I need to be, I, I need to be in 50 degrees. I don't need to be in a 78 degree house every night. And I like what you said about the next morning you go out, it could be a shock to their body almost. I mean, we get to go, you know, make sure that we're in a heated truck and we do put our, these new jackets on and these insulated waders and bibs and boots and socks and thermal underwear and long underwear and long johns and stuff. We, you know, we have a, a, an opportunity to never really get cold. Well, if that dog goes from 80 degrees in the house and then is just shocked, jumping in that water it's probably not good for his or her system on a daily basis it's definitely not and it it, it it it's definitely night and day different from the guys that i go out with that they keep their dogs inside from the guys that i go out with that have and i'm not saying not bring your dog in but he needs to have that balance of being out in the weather elements that he's going to be hunting in yeah i agree 100 on a daily basis what what do you tell people as far as the amount of work for a dog? Are there signs that we could see? I know that, you know, in the summertime, you know, you do your training early, you do it later in the evening. We don't want heat exhaustion. We don't want a ton of dehydration. We don't want tongues wagging all the time. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, most of the time, you know, it's all about quality over quantity. But on a duck hunt where – 
it's one of those days where it's retrieve after retrieve after retrieve. Are you looking for signs? Do you just get to know your dog and your instincts take over like when enough is enough? Or is there a time to shut it down during that hunt? You and I have had situations and experiences where we've chosen not to send a dog on a retrieve because of the temperature, the water, the wind chill in the air, and that dog being acclimated. It was time to just call it. He'd had enough. Um, there's a, Pride comes into effect here. As a dog owner and handler, what do you tell your clients, Brad, when they leave? Like, hey, 40 retrieves is good in a day. These are the, or do you just give them signs to watch for? Yeah, I've all, I was always told as my mentors trained me on how to train dogs and stuff, the difference between a, a good trainer and a great trainer is a trainer that can read the dog and know what he needs, what he doesn't need, when he needs it, and when he doesn't need it. So, and I tell my customers that my owners, the same thing, you know, if, if you treat that dog like you or I, if we were trying to run a triathlon and we exercised and we, um, conditioned our bodies to it where our lungs are in shape and our body's in shape. Sure. We can, we can get out there and, and, and and do that triathlon and not give out. But the guy that, you know, sits in the office and doesn't have the opportunity to work for stuff like that and work at it. If he goes out and tries to run a triathlon, I mean, he might kill himself. He, he might be in the hospital. Well, it's the same for these dogs. And if they're not acclimated to the um, weather elements, if they're not conditioned, um, if they don't have their lungs built up, if they're not in shape, if they're not fit, um, the, those, those dogs can't endure the, endure the day if if it's strenuous like you're talking about but there's some dogs you know and it's you just got to read that dog if if he's having fun and he's looking good and his tongue isn't he's not overheating and um his body temperature hasn't got too high or hasn't got too low and those cold weather elements you know yeah you can keep working um if, if he can do it but you need to be smart too. No different than if you go watch a 12 year old play a baseball or football game, you know, there's times that enough is enough. And, but if he's still feeling good and ready to work and his body's conditioned and ready for it, let him continue, let her continue. But, um, you know, if they've been playing Fortnite for the last two months and you take them to the first little jamboree football down here in South Georgia and the end of September and it's 90 degrees, Little Bobby might only need a, a, to play the first quarter. Yeah, it's, I, I like the comparisons between what we do as humans, and, and I, I liked having hints of, you know, what to know and what to do and how to prepare and what to look for. Because I, I, I said it on a podcast the other day of how I want to become a better dog handler. I want to take pride in it. I feel like I can call a, a duck pretty good. I feel like my shotgunning skills are okay. I feel like I can set up a pretty good decoy spread. I can hide a blind pretty good. I can scout with binoculars and spotting scopes really good. Um, uh, but the next level of the game now is being confident to step out and, and have all of this knowledge and I, I, so much pride in that that blind retrieve and that triple or the quad, you know, being picked up by Axel or Duff this year. With that being said, Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers, a lot of dog owners don't have access to a pond or water. They might think that getting their dog, male or female, in shape just entails, you know, going out and, and doing some retrieves on, on flat land. 
how important is it for swimming shape versus just you know dry land hunting shape there's things like drop tail that you've educated me on we could talk about that a little bit but how important is swimming shape as opposed to just you know getting your dog ready in the dog days of summer you know like august and september before you get on your first hunt i would assume that swimming is just as important as running them on a daily basis yeah we actually like to swim them more so than running them um it's less painful on their joints it isn't banging and it's just like us swimming is what one of the most uh the best sports to keep you in shape and it it definitely is with the dogs as well so conditioning just like i go back and i I tell you about the number one thing is health care well dog food comes into play well keeping that dog in shape and keeping him used to the elements that he's going to be performing in that that goes along in that same category so if if you're not conditioning your dog and getting him ready and exercising him on a day-to-day basis you need to be very wise and very smart on how much you hunt him and in the beginning of the season now if you're if you're going to hunt four and five days a week you know as as season rocks on and as you get farther along you know you could hunt him more but that first hunt out if you haven't done your part to get him out and condition him and get him in shape you need to be very careful on how much you work in those first few hunts and that's something that i want our listening audience to really think about is the expectations that we have from these dogs and you know in baseball which i know you're a huge baseball fan like myself and your son's addicted to it um there's spring training you know you're out there and you you don't go right out there and have have Clayton Kershaw throwing 94 at you. He takes his time. He's throwing long toss. He's running poles. He's doing drills. The, the hitters are getting in shape, the infielders, the catchers. Um, it, it's a process, a 45-day process, almost a two-month process before opening day. Um in April where, you know, now they got to be, but even at opening day, they're not where they are at the 80 game mark. You know, they're, they're not seeing the ball the same. They're not in baseball shape per se, a hundred percent. They're not in season shape. And we have to keep this into consideration with our dogs too, that they're going to keep getting in better shape as the season goes. So don't, you know, throw it all at them that very first hunt. I've paid for this doing things the wrong way in Canada, for example, um, you don't get to hunt a lot of water holes in Canada. Well, a few years back, our first hunt was in Can- in Canada was in water. And Duff jumps in. He's having a blast. He's getting the first 10, 12 ducks. And then all of a sudden, I see a huge difference in him. And he's just in a bad mood. He's down. He's he's not jumping in the water like he was with just a reckless abandon and getting in there and getting that duck and bringing it back. He was kind of just, you know tiptoeing in and and then he wasn't swimming the right way and then when he'd get out i could see how he was holding his tail and you taught me about you know drop tail and what that means of like it's a rudder and that he pulled a muscle he pulled a hamstring he 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 bruised something or you know he got got it to where that muscle was not in shape and the temperatures of that water mixed with that exercise in the water out of the blue because he wasn't you know swimming enough going into the season boom i paid for it right yeah it happens a lot it happens a lot that 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 cold tail it um it, it gets a lot of them first of season because like you said it's like a rudder and when they go out there and they're not used to swimming and turning and especially on those cripples and hunting in a circle and their hunt pattern as a circle and they're using that rudder where they don't flip over in the water um 
it happens to a lot of my customers and that all goes back to you not conditioning the dog and having him in shape ready for the hunt so are all of your dogs ready to go right now are you looking forward to this this season big time i i know you have the hunting operation now with mossy pond outfitters um a lot of ducks being retrieved a lot of pointing dogs and quail and chucker and pheasants this time of year is so exciting for hunters and when you think about how important the dog is to the hunt the overall you know just process of hunting the dog is so important so brad errington with you hunting as much as you do with your operation just talk to us a little bit about what we can think what we can do and just some steps that we can take right now we're going to start hunting in the next two weeks three weeks and i know that you are as well do you start training that dog that you know is going to be on that first duck hunt in mossy pond outfitters are you putting him on a platform are you putting him in a lay down a, a, a dog kennel you know a, a a dog blind that goes into a dry field how important is it to train in the scenarios that you visualize yourself using this year i say it a million times my guys around here get tired of hearing me say it i'm sure but um practice like you play so if, if you're going to go out there and you're going to have mechanical decoys, spinners, mojos, whatever it may be, if you're going to have, um, you know, if you're going to hunt out of a layout blind, if you're going to hunt out of a skid blind, whatever it may be, if you were to use a pump shotgun over an automatic, whatever it may be, you need to train exactly like you're going to hunt in the field. And if you do that, there will be no surprises. It'll be nothing new to the dog. They won't get most of dogs. The reason that they mess up is because it is something new. It is something they haven't seen in a while and they are distracted by it. So they can't pay attention to the task at hand or the command that you're giving them. But as long as you show them those things and it's something they see every single day, day in and day out, they're used to it. And the hunt, it's just like training. So it's just like practice. Um, so practice like you play, put those decoys out there, take the time to go out to you when you, when you working on your duck blinds and you're working on your pit blinds, go out there, take your dog out there and throw some bumpers out of the blind with him, teach him and let him get accustomed to going off the, the dog ramp, going and making the retrieve, coming back, coming in there, handing you the bumper, wherever you would be sitting in the blind put him in the duck boat and ride up and down the lake, ride up and down the river and teach him a spot where you want him to get when you have you and four of your other buddies and decoys and waders and guns packed in there. Where do you want him to get? Do you want him to get back there with you driving the boat? If you don't drive the boat, do you want him in the front? I don't like a dog walking up and down the boat while we're going into the duck blind. I like him to have a spot, a place. Same in the duck blind. When I get in the duck blind, I say place, when he goes to his place, he shouldn't get up. That dog that's walking all over the duck blind, you know, you might have a new guy in the blind, a rookie, a kid, uh, somebody that hasn't hunted that propped their gun up, loaded, and the safety got bumped off. Well, um, Joe, old Joe, he knocks the gun over and it falls down and it shoots somebody. He need You need to teach them when you get to that duck blind place. All right, go to my spot. That's where I get. I'm looking for ducks. When I, my name's called, I'll go out and pick them up and I'll come back. And so practice like you play. You'll have a, a, a better hunt, a safer hunt, 
and all the guys that are hunting with you will be happier as well. I love it. I absolutely love Mossy Pond, and I love having knowledge on how to handle a dog. I challenge everybody to be the best we can be. I mean, I have no problem telling people that I am new. I'm not new to dogs. I've been around the best, in my opinion. But the handling part of it, I'm taking a lot of pride in. I, I practiced a lot last season. I've been practicing this off season. I want to be the best I can. When I have Axel and our other dogs out in the field, I want to make sure that they're safe, we're responsible, their security is taken care of, and they're given every opportunity to perform the correct way. And I challenge everybody to become better at it. Put the exact same effort you do into your duck calling and scouting and decoys and trailer and preparation and boats and UTVs and everything that you have going on. And I know that you're out training your dog. I know you love your dogs. I'm talking about the actual process of in the field of of letting it happen the way it was intended. And there is a right way to do it. I've seen it. And I don't want a dog that breaks. I don't want a dog that whimpers and squeals and cries in the blind the whole time. Like Brad said, this kind of thing can become aggravated, not just to me, but to our hunt group and our partners and our friends. I want it to be legit. And that comes with preparation, passion, and visualization, the art of visualization. What do you want to see out of your dog during this hunting season? Let's practice. Let's make it better. Feed you could new, but you heard it out of Brad Arrington's mouth. It's the best dog food on earth. He feeds it to all 160 of his dogs in his kennels on a daily basis, twice a day. Happy dogs, high-powered dogs, performing dogs, and nobody can argue the business and the brand that he's built in Mossy Pond in Georgia. Brad Arrington, any closing words? Thank you for being here, my man. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for all the foul life and Chad building does for me and your whole team. And just happy hunting. If you have any questions about dogs, even if I haven't trained your dog or helped you with your dog, feel free to pick up the phone, call me, 912-281-2070, mossypondretrievers at yahoo.com. Pick up the phone, any questions about Yukonuba, and um, you, you give me a call, and I'll help you as much as I possibly can. Thank you. Thank you to all that Yukonuba does for me and my business and my dogs, keeping us performing at, at the highest level there is. And um that's it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Yukonuba. That's another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Yukonuba Duck Dog Series. Thank you all so much. Feed Yukonuba. Thank you for continuing to support the partners and sponsors that support us. If you have any questions or want to reach us, info at thefowllifetv.com. You can find us at thefowllife.com and on Instagram and Facebook at thefowllifetv. Thank you very much. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Yeah.